It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Happy Friday, Howard. How are you? Hey, guys. Doing well. How are you? Hey, we are doing great. Uh, you know, it seems like the, the Jazz keep winning games, Howard, and uh, and looking really good doing it. Beat the uh, shorthanded Clippers team the other night, but beat them by 18 points uh, nonetheless. And this time, Rudy Gobert had 20 and 20. And Gordon asked me this question earlier, and I'm curious to your answer, How- Howard. Who is the Jazz' most valuable player? Maybe not their best player, but who do you think has is the most valuable player to this Jazz team? It's a great question, and of course, it's a question everyone's kind of, you know, uh, banding about right now. Just because, in trying to determine all stars, and you know, we got, we heard the all star starters last night. And now the coaches will pick the seven reserves, but everyone's doing their exercise right now, right? Writers, fans, everybody about well, who rounds out these rosters? And you know, the three of them are not going to all make it. Obviously, you're not going to get Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert and Mike Conley, and. Um, and, and, and it's it's an interesting exercise to start parsing out, you know, the traditional stats, the advanced stats, um, roles that guys play and deciding, like, well, what if, you know, or if, if two of them are making it, is it automatic you just repeat Mitchell and Gobert? Because Conley, the advanced stats, uh, you know, are, are really strong on. And his raw numbers are never going to be what Donovan Mitchell's are. And Mike Conley's raw numbers, even in his best years in, in Memphis, weren't always necessarily jumping off the page, although he had some pretty good years. Um, I think the answer to the question, I think, goes back to something I said when we spoke last week, which is that, you know, Rudy Gobert sets the floor for this team and Donovan Mitchell is, is the ceiling, um, meaning that Rudy Gobert gives them their defensive identity and makes them – the team that you know for sure night in, night out, season in, season out, with rare exceptions, is going to be elite defensively. And that gives them a certain floor for success. And then you need the offensive dynamism to carry you, you know, to the next step to make you, you know, a playoff or a mid-tier playoff team, a top-tier playoff team. And in this case, now best team in the league by record. And I think that, that Donovan's shot creation and scoring, just the kind of the, the, the electricity to his game, is is what powers them. So, you know, Rudy Rudy Gobert, I think, is the answer to the question. If I had like, if I had to say there's like one guy who's the MVP of the Jazz, I think it's Rudy Gobert because defensively everything starts with them, and even offensively, of course, a lot of what they do starts with what Rudy Gobert uh, can do in terms of setting screens, in terms of his threat diving to the basket, and how that affects defenses. Um, and so, you know, as much as the advanced numbers love Mike Conley, and as much as the raw numbers favor Donovan Mitchell, it's probably Rudy Gobert. Um, but I, 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 I think I think most people around the league would would agree with that, but I'm not sure. I I, I, I think that's the right answer. Howard, would you ever consider Rudy Gobert for MVP talk? It's a tough one because. You know, like so. We, you know, we all do this differently. We all attack this exercise differently as media people, as as media voters, which I am. 
Um, I tend to lean toward you know this basic construction of not best player on best team necessarily because sometimes best team. You know, what is best team? Maybe it's separated by a couple of wins. One team got sixty-five wins, the other one got sixty-three. It's not. It's not so rigid as that. You would like to think that the MVP is the best player from the best team, but it doesn't always work that way. So it's to me, it's this sliding scale, this you know kind of almost undefinable combination of dominant individual play and team success. And so to me, the MVP always comes from a top two, top three team in the conference. Um, A team that you can say is is definitely a contender. They don't have to be the favorite. They just have to be, you know, a a viable, legit contender. And that's where my MVP choices have always come from. And so the individual excellence part is, is the part that gets tricky, right? Because we tend to go by the traditional stats, points, rebounds, assists, most MVPs are guys who, who are offensive engines of their team. They, they, they average 25, 28, 30 points, whatever. And we've had some, you know, exceptions here and there. I mean, the, the one that leaps to mind immediately is, you know, Steve Nash in his back-to-back years averaged, what, like 17, 18 points. He, he, he was, you know, incredibly efficient. And he defined those Phoenix Suns teams, which, you know, the years he won – I think they had definitely the best record in the league one year, and they might have, you know, the second year. I can't recall for sure. But Steve Nash was rewarded for for being the heart and soul and engine of that Phoenix Suns team, even if his stats, at least his scoring stats, didn't leap off the page. That would be the case for Rudy Gobert. His stats, especially his scoring stats, are never going to leap off the page. But he's also not a point guard. Like, you know, Steve Nash could say, well, I'm not, I'm not going to take a lot of shots because I think it's my job to set up everybody else. But you can still credit their offensive uh, productivity and efficiency to Steve Nash. It's harder to make that case for Gobert. So then you go to, but defense is half the game argument. I have a weird uh, take on that this discussion, by the way. We'll put that to the side for the moment. But um, is, is Gobert's uh, importance to them, especially defensively and somewhat offensively, enough if they finish with the best record in the league, does that do it? Um, it's a really interesting case. I don't know that we've had anything quite like it. I kind of hope that we get there. Like, I, it would be phenomenal if, if the Jazz finished the season with the best record and we're all now just trying to figure out, does this make Rudy Gobert potentially the MVP over LeBron and Joel Embiid and Giannis and Steph Curry and the rest of these guys? Like, it would be a fascinating discussion. I tend to think that what will happen is he, he will end up on some ballots. Donovan Mitchell might end up on some ballots, but they'll probably be in the third through fifth slots. I don't think either of them would win. I think we're going to view the Jazz. Uh, and I can't speak for the entire national media, even though people ask me to sometimes. I think we're going to see the Jazz mostly as an ensemble cast where all these guys are, are – you know, if not equally important, pretty close to, to equally important. Whereas certain other teams, a LeBron-led team, a Giannis-led team, are incredibly uh, or highly defined by a single individual. And I don't know that the Jazz are that, which is why you guys are even asking the question of, well, who's the MVP of the Jazz? Like, I think Jazz fans probably having that debate would, would have a, a, you know, a wide variety of opinions on that, right? They're, they're more of an ensemble. I think that's how we're going to view them, and that makes it harder to pick an MVP, uh, an NBA MVP off that team. 
Howard, you can't hit us with a potential aside like that and not expect to be asked to follow up. You mentioned uh, defense is half the game in this equation. Finish your thought. All right. So, I mean, I, I was going to say you have to indulge me, but you asked the question, so you've already indulged me. Like, uh, it's your fault. It's your fault when we go off the rails here. Uh, I cannot account for how many listeners you're going to be losing in the next few minutes um, or how many of them will think I'm insane. So... <laughs> People always say this, right? Uh, and it's usually an argument about um, you know when we're knocking you know a James Harden or knocking Kyrie Irving or Russell Westbrook or Steph Curry. You know, okay, they're great offensively, but but defense is half the game. What about defensively? What about you know you know but you know give me Kawhi Leonard because he plays both sides. Give me Paul George. Give me you know whatever Jalen Brown. Um, I you know mathematically, I, I I think it's indisputable that defense is half the game. That like that's just it's just fundamentally true, right? You play at one side, then you play at the other side, and you alternate. You go back and forth. Um, so I, I think mathematically, I'm 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 a lost cause here when I'm when I make this case. But I think philosophically or realistically, defense is not half the game because if defense were really as important, um, this game would not be so much defined by the great scores of all time, right? All of the greats, all the guys that we think of as the all-time greats, Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, on and on through, it's because of their offensive gifts. And I think that if you have a guy who is an, an elite scorer, James Harden, but he doesn't play defense, but you got a guy who's an elite defender, say Tony Allen, but he can't score, every single person in the NBA is going to take James Harden over Tony Allen. Now, granted, I have just given a very extreme example but that's kind of where this is. Like, Dirk Nowitzki, he was, he was an MVP once. Um, Dirk was never known for playing much defense, if any, at all. But we would absolutely take Dirk over, I don't know, whoever the best big man defender you can think of who only averages 10 points a game. Like, that's, so we can say that we can, we can all get cute about it and, and, and say defense is really important and it's half the game and blah, 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 blah. This game is defined by, powered by, um, and 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 just generated by the, the great offensive players. It just is, and and that means that uh, you know guys who are known more for their defense, who are not offensive engines and offensive producers, are are not going to be regarded at quite the same level. Do you think coaches feel the same way, Howard? I think that. Um, Coaches will talk a good game about I want guys who can defend and who will defend this and that. But again, if you give them the choice between um, it, again, I know it's a ridiculous example, but like I, I, I don't know a better example than Tony Allen. Tony, like a, like uh, maybe Marcus Smart, right? Or trying to think of like who's you know who's another great defender. If if you if you give me a guy like Drew Holiday is a great two way player, right? really great defender at the point guard position or both guard positions and a really, really good offensive player, not a dominant offensive player, but very, very good. Everybody would love to have Drew Holiday. You would still take James Harden or Kyrie Irving over him. Well, Kyrie's got his own baggage, but you would take Harden over him, you know, 10 times out of 10. Like you would take Steph Curry 10 times out of 10. Like I, I, when you take, when you have the elite offensive players, the all-time greats, you don't care whether they defend or not. Michael Jordan did defend. LeBron James does defend, and so it's what put those puts those guys at an even higher level. But nobody ever worried about whether Magic Johnson defended, um, or you know, or, or Steph Curry or Steve Nash. Like, um, I, I think coaches, when it comes right down to it, want guys who can get their own shot, who can create, who can hit a shot in, in crunch time. 
and they'll talk about how important defense is, and they'll hope they have some defenders. But if you're drafting a team, those same coaches are going to go for the guys who are the elite offensive talents, even if those guys don't play defense. I wonder if Bill Russell fits into that category. Howard, where would you put him? I know that was a long time ago. Um, I mean, clearly, so this is an interesting one because when we have, like, when people talk about the GOAT, greatest of all time, and Michael Jordan is the GOAT, is LeBron James, you know, you know, can he knock him off? Has he knocked him off? You know, whatever. And we get in this whole ridiculous debate. And somebody from a different generation, um, you know, the, the, the folks who came up on, on Kareem in that time will say, well, hold on, how are you guys saying it's about Jordan versus LeBron? What about Kareem? And they've got a case. And then you say, well, if it's about championships, you go back to Bill Russell. Well, Bill Russell, he was the last – he was maybe the only guy in NBA history who defined a team, a championship team, a dynasty clearly, by his defensive uh, prowess, his defensive dominance. You know, we're never going to think of Bill Russell as an offensive dynamo, right? And, and you can't even start comparing – his game to to the other guys that we have in this goat discussion, but he's the greatest champion that the, the game has ever had. Um, and so, in that era, that was enough. In this era, and especially in the last ten years of this era, when the game, you know, the scoring has just gone through the roof, three point shooting, um, the pace of the game, everything is about scoring now. The defensive rules have been changed to to you know make it hard to play defense, frankly. It means that we value the scoring that much more, and so it's it's as you guys know, I hate the the cross era discussions or debates because I think there's no there's, there's there's no good answer because the game changes so much. This is another one of those. Um, Bill Russell was amazing in his time. If there were a Bill Russell of today, we would still appreciate that guy, and he'd be defensive player of the year a few times, and he might even anchor a championship team, but he probably wouldn't get the same acclaim as you know. Steph Curry, LeBron James, and Kevin Durant. Well, Howard, I'm certainly glad we we got off onto that aside. That's a that's a really <laughs> fascinating discussion. I'm glad we dove into that because you're right. I mean, we do view it through that prism, whether it's right or not. We see that we see the offense. That's what we see. And and we all do this, right? Like it's like everybody wants to like like stand, you know um, wants to to put a. a, a, a uh, excuse me, um, put their, their their foot down and say, no, 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 defense, it's important. Everyone else wants to, like, like you know, uh, you know, make it clear that we understand the game and, that, and, that, and how important defense is. And so people will do that. We will take our stand um, in these debates. But as a practical matter, it still comes down to shot creation. Like, this game is about scoring first and then trying to stop the other guy after that. But first you have to be – and this is the other – that was my last uh, ridiculous uh, uh, aside on, on this, this whole tangent. If I gave you a team of five elite offensive players who don't play defense and I gave you a, another team of five elite defenders who can't score, which team are you picking to win that game? If I gave you five Tony Allens versus five Steph Currys, who's winning the game? That's a great point. Yeah. So there you go. There's my ridiculous thought for the day. Uh, Thank Howard, you. Can I can I sneak one more question in? Uh, I know we ask you this every week, an update on your view of the Jazz. And uh, Jake mentioned they have not uh, lost since we talked with you last. They just keep on winning. Their differential now is a plus 9.6 
Any any new updates on the way you're viewing this team, or or, or do you is the is the belief that this team is more than maybe what it was originally thought grown? How, where are you on that? I will say this. Um, one of the, one of the caveats I, I put up there because I'm obnoxious and I like throwing caveats on things. One of the things I think I told you guys over the last couple of weeks is let's see what happens when they really have to face all the elite teams because they'd seen a couple of them, but they're mostly just dominating. You know the 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 rest of the field, which is fine. You need to do that. That's important. But I wanted to see how they would do in this stretch where they would have to play the Celtics and the Bucks and the Sixers and the Clippers. And, oh, look, they just beat all of them. <laughs> so um, if I was looking for some kind of certification uh, for their record by then beating the elite teams repeatedly, they have done that. Um, they've got another game against the Clippers, of course, uh, tonight. Um, Tonight. Yeah. Uh, Lakers coming up. Um, and the Sixers one more time before this first half of the season ends. Um, but, I mean, listen, like, there, there's, there's no question. There's nothing. Once you've, once you've beaten uh, the caliber of teams they've beaten the last, and, and as convincingly as they have, you can't still suggest, well, is there any fluky element to it? Or are they just cleaning up against the bad teams? Is this... You know, the only other thing that's going to come up now is going to be, all right, are they just a great regular – and we've talked about this. Are they just a great regular season team? Because we've seen the Bucks do that. Bucks great regular season, last couple of years, knocked out in the playoffs. Uh, Atlanta Hawks, the 60-win Atlanta Hawks one year. Um, you know, and, and then they became a paper tiger. The question for them – and I don't think that's what this Jazz team is, and they're built differently than, than, than the other teams you're talking about. Um, but the, the – uh, sustainability and, and the test for them is, is, of course, truly going to be in the postseason. But as I've also said on your show, that's get, we fast forward too much sometimes in these discussions, and I'm guilty of it. And I, I think a lot of this should be just enjoy what they're doing right now, and we'll see what, what, uh, what happens in the postseason when we get there. We'll see how well they hold up against the great teams and, and whether they can beat the Lakers four out of seven or the Clippers four out of seven or whoever else. Like it's, we'll get there when we get there. In the meantime – what they're doing is, is outstanding, and I think it's it's very real and sustainable. Um, the playoffs are always another matter, but I think they play a brand of basketball that, that should hold up very well in the playoffs. Howard, thank you as always. Have a great weekend, and we'll catch you next Friday. Appreciate it, fellas. Thank you. Thank you. The great Howard Beck uh, from Sports Illustrated with us here on 97.5. And uh, 1280 The Zone, really fascinating stuff. We'll have more coming up next, live on The Big Show, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone.